What? <laughs> She's already choking. It's not. <laughs> I remember when we were young, um, driving in your car, speeding so fast, I felt like we were drunk. <laughs> City lights laid out before us. And your arm felt nice around my shoulder. And I, I had a feeling that I belonged. I, I had a feeling I could be someone, be someone, be someone. When I was a kid, I used to make my mom play that album incessantly over and over again. <laughs> it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> okay, so here I am. And there you are. That sounds like it could be another song lyric. Yeah, I was like, is that, are we going into another song? Um, I love to use, this should give you a sense of where my uh, self-care is at. I like to use our time to do Kate's cultural appropriation skincare routine, (laughs) which I have a new YouTube (laughs) channel about. You can learn all about how the papery skinned, Polack Irish woman steals ancient techniques. <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, I got nothing. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, it's been a it's been a hot minute. <laughs> I know. When did we last? When was it? Months and months ago, or is it like a year? Are we at the year mark? Um, no. I don't know that we're at the year mark. Uh, hold on, let me look. Let me look. So the last time we recorded was, or or I guess the last time we published was um, on the 31st of December, 2021. Okay, so I had given birth. Yes, you had given birth, it's true. There was a small, small child in the world. You know, since then, I've learned a lot. <laughs> Can I share? Yeah. What, what have we learned in the past six months? This is what I learned. I learned that postpartum depression does not always come on instantly. Hmm. And I knew that, I think, intellectually, but not, it, I didn't, I didn't like embody it because, you know, December, January, February, March, I was struggling, but like managing. Yeah. And then sometime March, April, May, I took this nosedive emotionally and in my mood that was otherworldly. And I've struggled with depression um, my whole life, really. And and I'm quite familiar with it. And, um, but this was new. I had never, the the way I describe it is that all of a sudden it felt like my brain broke and every minor inconvenience, every tiny little frustration, my brain was like, it's okay you can just kill yourself. Mm -hmm. We should do a trigger warning for this. Um, But (laughs) 
And that was like, and then I would hear my brain say that. And I would say, what the fuck? No, you don't. You have a beautiful garden. You got cool kids. Your husband's a fox. Like, like I mean, know? as we, we, we know that this is not a uh, visual media that we <laughs> exist in, but um, this would be a time at which I would flash a picture of Evan up on the screen <laughs> if oh. I could. I did something good. This is, it's karma. He's just, he's amazing. Um, and I have a life that is really beautiful that I'm grateful for. And it was a long time creating it and wasn't easy. And I really don't want to end my life. And I didn't then, but my brain was saying at every corner, it's all right. You can just, and, and it had like, and it was terrifying. So I reached out and I encourage if you ever experience something like this, I hope you don't, but if you do just reach out immediately because it's a symptom. It's not a, it's not those words that your brain is saying can be scary, but they are just a symptom of something going on in your brain that it's like short wiring, it's inflamed, some, it's a symptom. And so I, I told my doctors and I was like, is this still considered postpartum? You know, I'm like six months out or whatever. And they were very much like, yeah. And I started doing some research and it turns out the highest probability time after giving birth to experience severe treatment resistant postpartum depression is between month six and nine, which also I, I think the chances of someone committing suicide successfully are highest among months nine to 12 after giving birth. And that's because that's when support starts to fade away. Sure. Thing one, thing two, hormonally, that your, your body is going through Olympic level changes most of which happen, you know, if you think of it this way, condensing all of adolescence into a few months. Yeah. Um, and so if you have, you know, any, any history of anxiety or depression that puts you in a greater risk category, multiple births, greater risk category, the older you are, greater risk category. I basically checked every fucking box. So as soon as it happened, I knew it. It's like the difference between like, have you had an orgasm or have you not? You're like, I think I have. You're like, you haven't. <laughs> you haven't. Postpartum depression is like, I was like, oh, yeah, that's it. Now, here's the cool thing. The FDA just rushed into approval uh, a medication called Brexonolone, which is not an antidepressant. It's, it's more akin to like a steroid. Um, and it had outrageously good results for treatment resistant, pretty severe postpartum depression. So much so that the FDA rushed it through. And um, I'm one of the first 30 oh, wow. people in Rhode Island, in Rhode Island, oh, okay. to have received like... it. But keep this in mind, there aren't that many places that administer it. I sure. just happen to be, it's not even in Boston, people from Boston have to come to Rhode Island. It's not, it's not widely available yet. And I read a really shitty article in the New York Times that was like, oh, good, entitled white ladies with good insurance will have access to it. And I'm like, yeah, that is a problem. I want more people to have access to it. But I almost didn't get it. 
because I felt shame about the fact that I had access to it. Oh, wow. That's. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to unpack that right now, but that's a thing. <laughs> and like, I understand, you know, I, I, I strive to understand my privilege. I do. And also. I don't tick every privileged box, but the the vitriol with which that article is written, I really just, anyways, it almost prevented me from getting it. Uh, and and here's how the the treatment works. You go into the hospital for three days and they plug you up to an IV bag full of the meds and you just sit there and you get the meds mm -hmm. and you get a little sleepy. And, you know, the baby can come with you. Um, somebody has to be with you in case you like fall asleep or something happens you know, for insurance reasons. But I was there with, I was there with my baby and I felt, most people feel change within hours. Um, I didn't feel anything. I stuck yeah. with it all three days. I didn't feel anything. And then I went home and had the worst day of it all. I was like, I just did that. I just put this stress on my support system for three days and I don't feel better. Yeah. And I was devastated. Um, and then the next day I woke up and without exaggeration, it felt like a switch was turned on in my brain and I felt like myself mm -hmm. and it was that abrupt. And it wasn't like all of a sudden I was shooting rainbows out of my ass. It was like, all of a sudden I was just normal depressed. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, Oh, and that was like euphoric to just yeah. feel normal depressed. I felt like, uh, you know, I went from having those like really, troubling intrusive thoughts like five six times a day to like having days where I didn't have any yeah and then having a day where I had like one or two and then days where I didn't have any and um the other thing that has been really complicated about this is the thing that myself I can only speak for myself but I know a lot of other people struggle with is when you come out of something like this, you need time to heal. When you come out of childbirth, when you come out of a treatment like that, you need time to heal. And we don't have that in this country. Yeah. And I have had to like, you know, go back and I love my work. I love my employers. Everybody's been really understanding. But I know that when I have additional stressors, it increases the symptoms. It's just, and you know, we live in a in a culture that so shames people for taking rest and and for taking time. Like, there's always like a suspicion about medical conditions, and a lot of this is internalized. Like. Oh, much of it is, is internalized. Like, yeah, we... I like hear my dad's voice saying like, oh, you know, stink uh, <laughs> blown off you. You're going to be fine. Toughen up. Yeah, yeah. And it's like that almost, that really could have, that compromised my life. Yeah. If I had just pressed it down and said, no, 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 no. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just being lazy. I'm just a lazy mom. I am, you know, I just suck at this. I. Uh, then I could have been in, I could have been in real trouble and yeah. I, 
know that the main thing that prevented me from getting help sooner was being scared financially and feeling shame Mm -hmm. about needing yet another (laughs) yeah thing and to tie it into the yoga world which i will do (laughs) i I just imagine someone tuning in and this being the first episode (laughs) yeah welcome You know, my first, you know, my first thing is like, I cannot teach. I cannot show up right now to teach. Yeah. Because like the anxiety it gives me and the feeling of um, imposter syndrome. And also like, I'm at the point now where when I think about teaching, I just feel like I'm showing up for people who may or may not have compassion for disabilities or, you know, it just feels like it's, I just cannot put on yeah. the fake smile. I cannot be understanding to students who are not understanding. I, and I think maybe I'm talking more about teacher training stuff. I just realized I'm not talking about teaching like a regular weekly class those people are wonderful but like going into a teacher yeah. training and reminding people that are going to be yoga teachers that you're allowed to teach yoga if you're disabled yeah and that's like a shocking moment in every teacher training i mean to me that fear extends into the into a regular classroom setting too that there is this there's this very interesting dynamic of showing up to teach folks who like on a political level might not have your back oh (laughs) right um and it was and most of the time when I'm showing up to teach online it's like people that I know really well it's like just people from Bow Street showing up on on Tuesday nights or Sunday mornings when I sub for Fez like so that's not an issue but I went to uh Berkeley has this like five week thing in the summer that like high school and like some college students too who are interested in going going to Berkeley come to to like get a taste of it um and so I just teach like a couple of classes on on Saturday during the weeks that that's happening the first one was this weekend and it was the first time I'd like been in a classroom with people who like don't like nobody knew me like it'd been so long since I've been in front of a classroom where like I was starting from square one <laughs> and the first class was was fine um the second class there were a lot of people and there were two of the most like stereotypical 
like obnoxious high school boys in the class. And they were just, I mean, I, it has been a really long, like probably since back Bay, since I've had people be like that disruptive um, in the middle of a class. Uh, but what was hilarious to me, because the whole time I'm teaching and I'm just like, the rage is like <laughs> seething underneath. <laughs> and I'm like holding it together. I'm holding it together. And like, cause I could tell, it was so funny. It was like, I had people set up in two rows facing each other as I am want to do. So it was like, this side of the room was like obnoxious humans. And this side of the room was like really trying to like chill and like practice. Um, Cause there were definitely some people who, who had practiced a lot of yoga before, which is really cool when you're in a room full of like 16 to 18 year olds. And it's clear that people have like exposure, exposure and experience. Oh God, I'm sorry. Can we just talk for a second? They're 16 to 18. Yeah. <laughs> so anyways, so I get through the class and um, I, we're in Shavasana and I just notice all of a sudden the room is like actually like fully quiet for a second. And I look over and I'm like, oh, those assholes are sound asleep right now. They're sound asleep. And so like, I ring the bell at the end of class, everyone comes up to seated. They're still sound asleep. They do not wake up until like, almost everyone has already left. And I had to like, give them a little kick because there was another class coming. <laughs> it's just like, <sighs> and maybe be like, I, I don't know if I'm cut out to teach public classes ever. <laughs> so when they were being disruptive, what were they doing? Just like chatting and giggling and like purposefully pretending that they didn't know what to do and like making jokes. And I just have to be like, hey, quiet down <laughs> like I, it, it had just been so long since I had to deal with anything like that it was just really funny but like the rage contrasted because clearly like other people in the room were pissed about it too and so like when we all when everyone came out of Shavasana like everyone just had like a good chuckle quietly to themselves and just <laughs> quietly left the room <laughs> yeah that's kind of beautiful yeah those fucking bricks. Um, I'm so done. <laughs> no, and you know what? They're gonna like grow up and be yes. fucking lawyers and yes. But I and <laughs> but I do. I don't know. My past six months has just been I'm just sitting with a lot of like I, I don't I don't know what this is supposed to look like anymore. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I, I I really don't. It and I don't know what it's supposed to look like in the world of Buddhism. I don't know what it's supposed to look like in the world of Hatha Yoga. I don't know what it's supposed to look like from a like organizational and structural standpoint. Um, 
you know, I have clear ideas about what I think is harmful and what I think doesn't work, but like, I, I just don't know anymore. Um, and, and so there's, there's this part of me that's like, oh, well, I got to do it all myself again. Um, we haven't done this in so long. We're having technical difficulties. <laughs> what, was I cannot hold. <laughs> what was I saying? Uh, um, um, oh, just like, what are we doing? Yeah. Oh, um, you were like, oh, I have to do it myself again. Yes. Uh, which is really not a good, um, place to be, I mean, it's not a bad place, but it's not, uh, I, I also feel like I very much underestimate the, um, the need to, um, I don't know, there, there's the exhaustion of the pandemic. There's the sort of weight of the uncertainty of, of you know, where your paycheck is coming from and, you know, what this thing that I find to be really valuable and want to be able to share with folks, um, uh, you know, where this, uh, I guess the the lack of congruence between the quote unquote industry and what what I find to be valuable about practice, um, and then also the truth that and it it I like so my 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 teacher actually had to like point this out to me the other week and be like. and you're transitioning, <laughs> like, and you're on, you know, like, and there is, yes, the, a lot of focus on, you know, hormones and this and that. And by the way, just given the political environment, I'm getting all of the therapist's letters for anything that I ever would want or could want to have done just in case shit goes south. Um, uh, just so that I have all of those letters complete and done. Um, but like, there is also, I, there's also a healing process there that takes time and it takes, um, that takes time and you know it's it's hard to have to be like to have this sort of conflicting like oh like so and so needs you know is going out of town should i sub their class well there's the voice in me that's like well you enjoy teaching and you need money 
so you should sub their class. And then there's the part of me that's like, oh, but you actually really need time. And that's just not something that, um, you know, it's not something that I uh, have. And it's also not something that, um, you know, I think part of that time involves kind of just time off to like be a human in the world and not have to worry about work. And then another part of that time for me anyway, I, I really feel like would benefit from a, you know, uh, a retreat type environment and there's so much fucking gatekeeping around these retreat environments. Like, oh, you're not, you haven't done enough of these retreats. You haven't done enough of those retreats or you've only done retreats in this tradition. So we don't think you'd really be able to handle coming here. And I'm like, we're just sitting quietly and watching our breath. What, <laughs> what could I not handle? That makes me want to like set those buildings on fire. Yeah. That's right. And, and I get that some of it is a little bit of, there is a, uh, a natural, not natural. There, there has been a movement to like, make sure that people that are coming to the center for any, for these centers to any, for any sort of like solitary or intensive period of practice, um, that there is a mental health uh, check um, because, you know, I think that's a, a, a really good thing that, that uh, a lot of these centers have, have um, tried to implement over the course of the past five or six years. But I also am just like, I don't know that we're at a point where we can really be so insular about all of this. Like, I do still think that there are like, you know, I don't want necessarily a, someone who's never meditated before to go on a 10 day silent meditation retreat. Like, I think that might be fine for some people, but it's probably not the wisest decision. Um, and like, there's nowhere where you can go and like, just practice without having to get involved in all sorts of like community bullshit and the Buddhist side of things or, you know, uh, territorial industry bullshit on the Hatha Yoga side of things. Like, like, I don't know that I can, without significant consideration of what I'm stepping into, take class at studios in Boston anymore. I mean, online, sure, whatever. If I really want to take a class online, that's fine because I'm just in my own space. But to like step into a studio, like there always has to be some consideration of like, okay, well, what is this teacher going to read into me being in their class? What is this uh, studio owner going to read into me being in their class? 
what is this being in a class at their studio um you know uh it's just I don't know, it just feels so removed from even what was going on at Back Bay, which was like a big, it was a big operation, right? Like, it's not like it, that was some sort of small hole in the wall scenario, but it, everything even feels like exponentially removed and scaled up and, and you know, um, so much more of a, I don't know what the word is. Um, and I think you, I, I think you lose a lot of, I think there are a lot of practitioners that these studios lose because of that. Um, like people who are just like, I'm just gonna go practice at home. Like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> um, which is totally fine, like, great. Um, and uh, I also think there's a lot of teachers who like are really quality teachers who step out because they just don't want to deal um, and don't want to play the game. Um, and, and I struggle with that too. Like there are times where I'm like, I am just gonna go, bye. And then I'm like, ah, that doesn't feel quite right. It doesn't feel quite right. Um. I just feel so much of what you said, I recognize as, as true. I mean, could you imagine if you and I just like showed up in a class somewhere? <laughs> I feel like people would look at us like suicide-eyed. I know. Yep, there's that. <laughs> and then if they didn't know us. Yeah. All the fucked up things they'd be thinking if they saw us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's like honestly, like I'm not crazy. I I I have, and this is what it is. My truth, my truth, right now, which people always use to preface something shitty they're about to say. Absolutely, yep. <laughs> my truth, right now. Um, <laughs> no, honestly, I just don't want to take a public class. I can't think of. I there are like very. There's like a handful of people that are friends of mine that teach that I would roll into their class. Yeah. But like beyond that, I'm so distrustful for good reason of like general population yoga teachers because I'm either going to be harmed or I'm going to be harmed with my, or the boredom is gonna hurt. <laughs> say more about that <laughs> i mean i just like how many i i you know what i don't want to do i don't want to go to a junior high poetry slam yeah yeah that's, does that make that's sense fair. Like, yeah i don't want to go 
I don't want to see you learn. <laughs> I don't want to watch someone figure out that it's time to rest. Yeah. And I want platitudes from anyone in their 20s. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you're in your 20s and you're teaching yoga, if you have something really traumatic that happened to you, I'll come to your class. I'm interested. But if you haven't, I don't want to No. Yeah. Show me your fucking able-bodied lunge. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, come over and fix my downward dog. Try it. Oh, because I'm not in it. <laughs> oh, push my hips down at you. No. <laughs> I will punch you in your fucking well-groomed vagina. <laughs> I I don't want to take your class. I don't want to take your class. And you don't want me in your class. Real, you know, I just, and this is coming from a place of genuine, I, I'm waving the white flag in a lot of ways. I can't teach right now because I need to take care of myself. And I like, I just physically, emotionally, mentally, it's not healthy for me to teach yoga right now. That will not always be the case. Sure. Yeah, yeah. The other side of it is it's really hard for me to care about the machinations of the yoga industry when we live in Gilead. <laughs> I don't care. And unless those and unless the people that are part of that community unless full-time yoga teachers like start speaking up and taking action on things like this and advocating for um you know the rights of their friends i don't know what you're doing like because it to me it really is if you're teaching yoga you need to be aware of the environment in which you are instructing and i think teachers in general are too terrified to talk about it and yes. i can't endure it any i can't walk in if you know like i oh you know by the way side note um i want the worst class i had that reminded me of the one you had with those fellas in the back room is i had somebody it was back at sassy and two girls came in late, rolled up their mats in the back of the room, and one was on her phone taking selfies of herself laying down. Naturally. Just, yeah, <laughs> actually, this was happening. And um, <laughs> then she was talking, like, at this volume with her friend. And it was, like, a morning class. It was, like, 12 of us. And I was, like, I, I, like, I literally said in front of the whole class, I was, like, you can go. I'm like, no, it's okay. Don't feel awkward. You can leave. Yeah. And she was like, what? And I was like, you don't want to be here. I don't really want you here. It's okay. <laughs> and like, she stuck around to talk to me afterwards. And I was like, and then she like sent a, an inflammatory email. And I was like, no, not today, <laughs> Satan. But I think it's, you know, that I feel like there's been, I, I think you're pointing to the right thing because I've, I've been hearing a lot of, of dialogue about like whether, like to what degree politics should, should be enmeshed in 
yoga. And a lot of it ends up being around like uh, diversity, equity, inclusion Mm -hmm. trainings. And like, do I think that every yoga teacher should be required to take Yoga Alliance's specific DEI training? No, I don't think Yoga Alliance should be trusted to do that type of anything really anything really (laughs) let alone that type of work would i hope that all yoga teachers would be interested in learning in whatever way they have available to them you know uh yes i i would i would hope that i know that that I, i don't know that that's something you can really require but i would i would hope that that would be the case um and i think some of those conversations about whether, you know, to what degree politics and yoga intersect. Um, When it comes to like actually teaching the people in front of you, like meaning comes in context. Like you, you, there are a group of people walking into a room and I don't know, maybe Roe v. Wade just got overturned and people are feeling some shit. I don't know. <laughs> just, a, just a hypothetical. Um, I don't know that you can really couch that in some sort of neutrality. And if you are couching it in some sort of neutrality, it's probably out of some sort of fear that like someone in the room doesn't agree with you, but like, you know, I feel like it's the, the same people who sometimes talk about how they don't want politics and yoga are the same people who are like, well, can't we like agree to disagree? And like, yeah, I mean, on certain things we can. Um, and, you know, I think it is, I mean, you don't have to spend 30 minutes of your hour long class talking about the events of the day, but you do have to find some way to acknowledge to the room that like you are at least aware of the context and there to like hold the space for people to have whatever experience they need to have that day. Um, And, you know, different people are gonna have different ways of doing that. Um, And yeah, some people might get really fucking um, aggravated and agitated, but they can just go to a different class um, at the end of the day. Uh, But it's just, it's one thing when there's just the normal, like with like, I feel like 10 years ago, there was just normal everyday political drama, which was like annoying and it sucked. And like, maybe you didn't have, like, maybe it wasn't in everybody's mindset when they stepped into a yoga classroom. We're, we're way fucking past that. We are. Yeah. (laughs) Like every week there's a hearing or a court case or a, and, and again, you don't have to, you can find your own creative way to acknowledge what's going on for folks but you have to acknowledge what's going on for folks. Otherwise, like you really are just teaching them how to do a lunge and like, I, I don't. But here's the thing, on average, 
on average. What's a fucking 20 year old gonna say in the front of a class? I'm being so judgmental and ageist right now. This really isn't about age. There are exceptions. No, I don't, yeah, no, I don't think it's, be, but I but, think it's there, you can, you can acknowledge it without unpacking. That's true. The details, like, you know, even to say that, like, I think even if you are a 20 year old, you, you could, you know, Roe v. Wade gets overturned. You can walk into the classroom and be like, hey, y'all, what the fuck? <laughs> Everyone just do what they need to do today. This is the practice that, that I felt like I, I needed today and I'm gonna lead you through it. And if you need to like skip all of it and lie down, great. If you, you know, if you wanna follow along for the ride, fantastic. Like, let's all take care of each other today. Like, you don't need to have, it doesn't need to be this like, you don't need to give a history lesson on reproductive rights before you start your asana <laughs> class. Yeah. <laughs> in order to acknowledge the context in which people are stepping into the room. Um, in order to understand the context in which pe people are stepping into the room and to get, and there are all manner of contexts that could be at play for the sort of group dynamic, but then also for like individuals. I mean, it's the same thing if someone were to, not the same thing, but like, If four people come up to you at the beginning of class and say, I blew out my meniscus a week ago, mm -hmm. you're going to take that very important piece of context and probably scrap <laughs> a lot of what you had planned. Yeah, but are you? Or are you just going to be like, okay, modify? <laughs> I mean... Okay, I, I <laughs> um, I don't know. Figure it out. I don't know. I think I've gotten to the place where I I'm really, it feels like there's fires all around us. And I mean that like both in my personal life and in the greater society and culture and local communities. I just, I, there is a cruelty to not naming what is harming so many people. And it is hard for me to wrap my head around the importance of a vigorous and creative vinyasa flow when so many things are on fire. I, I don't know. It's not entirely formulated. It is a baby thought it is still shitting its pants. Yeah. But I'm, um, 
frustrated, bored, angry, and sad all at the same time about where my relationship with um, quote unquote, the yoga community. Um, I just think I've lost steam. Yeah. You know, I have my relationship with yoga and with meditation and that has been put under duress as well. And the toxicity of um, the, you know, the perpetual optimism of the marketing machine and of individual yoga teachers. It's just, it's at a point where I just can't. And <laughs> I just, and, and the way I feel is something that other groups of people have been dealing with for much longer than me. You know what I mean? Like it, I'm slowly, you know, embarrassingly slowly starting to vaguely understand. Like, it's so unfair uh, that black and brown people are tasked often with the education, you know, uh, of well-meaning, but lazy white people about race in this country. And I don't think I honestly, and, and I know, I know that this is, I'm just coming to terms with the fact that as frustrated as I am about having to explain the cruelty of non-inclusive yoga, I haven't had to do it for that long. Mm -hmm. And I'm already angry and exhausted. And that is one drop in the bucket of what black and brown people have been dealing with for hundreds of years. So I am beginning to cultivate well, not beginning to, but it's sort of been a long time coming, just like my wish to step back in silence and, you know, see if, to see what, I don't know. I mean, I, that's the, the wish to I think there is something wise in the wish to step back as long as there is a desire to re-engage because I do think that there is something valuable about let me put it this way I, I don't know I am not entirely sure like the work of equity and and inclusivity and diversity like 
and the discussion about race, like I don't know how equipped the modern yoga community is to have that discussion any more than the sort of broader culture is equipped to have that discussion. And um, I think there is a really genuine way in which if studios and studio owners and studio like are, are passionate about that work, that they can begin to begin to offer that. Where I get a little suspicious is all of the work that has been done um, in terms of like anti-racism and anti-capitalism and, and et cetera. So often what I see is we take all of this rich work and then we say, look, it's just like the yamas and the niyamas. And I'm just like, I don't know that we can like force this Patanjali merger <laughs> with anti-racist work. Like, I just don't know that that's the, that's the skillful way. Like, couldn't we just say that like, yoga has always adapted to the culture in which it is presented. Buddhism has already always presented in the culture in which, although there's, there's much more precedent in Buddhism, for, I think for uh, a, a tie-in to anti-racist anti work. Um, uh, and this is the cultural moment. This is the cultural issue that we're, we're trying to come to terms with. So how do we have a discussion about it within the context of practice? And it doesn't need to perfectly fit with Patanjali. If it perfectly fits with Patanjali, great. If it perfectly fits with something in the Hatha Yoga, like great. But I don't, I, like. We don't have to force it. You don't have to force it. You can just be like, no. if, this is, if this is work that is interesting and you feel called to do it, great. If not, I hope that you feel called to do it in whatever way you can do it at some point, <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I, I just, I haven't seen a presentation of it specifically in the yoga world that doesn't feel uh, like either I get pessimistic that it's a studio doing it for marketing purposes, which is my own habit of being pessimistic um, but also not entirely false. Um, uh, or I you mean get, for like the optics. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, or I get, like, I get this feeling that we're trying to combine two things before we really have a depth of knowledge in either of them. That's interesting. Like yep. the, the understanding of yoga philosophy and, and Buddhism in the West is, is still quite surface. And the understanding for most people of the depth of 
understanding of the anti-racist and abolitionist and, and uh, queer liberation and like all of these movements that have been going on for much longer than, than you know, the last two years, although some people would like to think they only came up in the last two years. Um, like, it, we're not at a point of, like, they can be parallel, they can inform one another, but I don't know that like they've, we've figured out exactly how to integrate them. Yeah, we don't have to fucking Pangea this. <laughs> this is, yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, because I have this impulse to do that, to make sense of things based on the structures I'm currently existing yeah. in. Um, uh, and this, is where I bring up the fact that we have a really short attention span. Yes. It was not long ago, we were having you and I, but also large, yeah. more at large conversations about Patabi Joyce. Mm-hmm. So we were having conversations about the toxicity of guru culture. We were talking about the even the toxicity in Iyengar. Yeah. The danger, the harm caused, the predatory power dynamics, the uh, racism, the sexism, the sexual assault, like all of it was top of mind, top of tongue. I feel like I blinked my eyes and everyone was just cool with it again. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of does feel like that. Right? So like, I, and I, I say this directly to Ashtanga yoga teachers. What the fuck, man? <laughs> no? You can't hide behind the, oh, the practice is beautiful, but, but, but. No. I don't care. Lincoln agrees. Lincoln, Lincoln's angry. <laughs> Lincoln wholeheartedly agrees. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we got to put a pause on. Okay. Elizabeth, get ready to say hi. You don't have to say much except hi. <laughs> Who's there? Who's there? Ryan. Hello. Hi, Ryan. Hi. How are you doing? Is it recording? It is recording, yes. Okay, I'm so sorry to cut this conversation of Unrolled short. Um, oh, I'm on, am I on a video? You, no, you're not on a video. Oh, okay. You're on a recording. Um, my genius sister is here to help me with uh, some really urgent matters. But I do want to continue to talk about shaming Ashtangis <laughs> in the future. It is my life's work. <laughs> Well, and we will see you soon. Yes. On that note. Bye. Bye.